Monday, Gimel Cheshvan Tafshin Ayin Dalid. Coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Go in honor of the parsha we just read. That was Mati Kaspi with Noach. It's a great one. We also have another Noach song for later on in the show. Welcome, one and all. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Weingarten. We're here every Monday morning, immediately following JM in the AM, 9 AM New York time, 4 PM Israel time. 
And of course, today, as we are live, we can tell you that just a few hours ago, as you probably know, uh, just a few hours ago, we heard the news of the passing of Harav Ovadi Yosef. He was sick now for quite a while. And uh, prayer rallies were held around the world. And a few hours ago, he succumbed. He was 93 years old. The funeral will take place in approximately two hours, 6 p.m. in Yerushalayim. And uh, although we didn't have much time to put down some ideas about Rav Vadya, here is some thoughts. He was obviously a Torah giant, probably our greatest and most prolific posek of uh, this generation. He was, of course, the chief rabbi of Israel, and later the most powerful religious political leader in uh, in Israel. And Rebbe was was a complex person, as any great person is. Uh, as a posek, he focused on keeping the Sephardic halachic tradition of psikamituna, uh, force of halachic moderation, non-extreme psak. Um, he was a mekil. He believed in Koach de Hetera Odif. For example, some of the examples that stand out are his acceptance of the uh, Ethiopian Jewish community as Jews, his acceptance of the Geirim of the Israel Defense Forces, and we'll mention later also his dealing with the Agunot after the Yom Kippur War. He allowed women to say Kaddish in public. He often sat at events where women sang, and he didn't get up and walk out. And in the days when he still used public transportation many decades ago, he sat in mixed buses. He ruled very clearly, and this is something we always note, he ruled very clearly that there is no Isur, no prohibition to listen to the recorded voice of women singers, that the prohibition of Kalisha doesn't apply when listening, for example, via the radio. And it's it's well known and attested to by many that Rabbi Vadya himself often listened to recordings of certain female singers that he particularly enjoyed. I know that my mother, Shetichyev, is listening, and I make the point that regarding the concept of halachic moderation, mitinut b'halacha, b'psika, not being a halachic extremist, being against halachic extremism, however, Vadi Yosef Zatzal followed in the footsteps of his predecessors, including my mother's grandfather, Harav Ben Sion Meir Chai Uziel. And it was noted today in, in many of the news reports that it was Harav Uziel who gave Rav Avadya his smicha and led him, mentored him in his early days. After the Yom Kippur War, Harav Avadya Yosef spent endless days and nights, he spared no effort to be matir each and every one of the agunot, of which there were very many after that tragic war. But Rav Avadya was not only a Torah giant. Later in, in life, after his tenure as, as chief rabbi, he became the most powerful political rabbinic leader in Israel, establishing and leading 
the Shas party. The idea of the Shas party was to give Sephardic Jewry power and voice and political and financial strength. He saw the Ashkenazi yeshiva and Torah world and he understood that the Sephardim were not strong in that area. He was quoted as saying that when he was in Porat Yosef, there were 70 students in that Sephardic yeshiva and it was the only Sephardic yeshiva. While at the same time there were 300 students and more in Punovich. And he resolved, he resolved to build the Sephardic Torah world to its great potential with the hopes of even surpassing the Ashkenazic world. He was quoted as saying, we're not, we're, they're not smarter than us and we're not stupider than they are. We can learn as well. But he didn't want to copy the Ashkenazic Torah world. Rather, he wanted which was his motto, that the crown of the Sephardic Torah world and the Sephardic world in general be restored to its previous grandeur. A huge, huge funeral is going to take place soon in Yerushalayim. There's already masses of people trying to reach Yerushalayim from around the country. People are are even bringing their small kids to experience the funeral, something their kids will remember for their whole lives. And yeshivot, including many Ashkenazi ones, were in, the, the students were instructed to close their sfarim and head to Jerusalem to give the final kavod to Rav Avadya Yosef, there are estimates that there will be 300,000 people in the streets of Yerushalayim following the Aron, the casket of Rav Avadya Yosef, Zechar Tzadik Livracha, Yehizichor Baruch, passed away at the age of 93. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Yonatan Razel with Katonti, his uh, huge hit off of the album Ben Hatzlilim. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. You can uh, tune us in live every Monday, immediately following Jamie and the AM, on the stream at NachumSiegel.com. Or you can listen to us via... The JM in the, I'm sorry, the Nachum Siegel Network app, or the JMDM app, the Nachum Siegel Network app, which is available both for iPhones and for Androids, via their respective stores. And you can also podcast now this show. You can sign up in iTunes to uh, get a podcast of the show, and it will be automatically downloaded to you at some point every Monday after the show. So you can listen to it at your convenience. You can send us emails, mayor at nachumsiegel.com, M-E-I-R, mayor, M-E-I-R, mayor at nachumsiegel, N-A-C-H-U-M, Siegel, S-E-G-A-L, dot com. And, of course, you can interact with us via our Facebook page, which uh, continues to grow. We are now at 123 likes on our Facebook page. We welcome our latest likers, Zipporah, Greg, 
And Avi, thank you all so much for uh, tuning in, for liking our Facebook page, for participating, commenting, and so forth. And the, the busier it is, the more popular it gets, the, the, the better it is for, uh, for the Nachum Siegel Network and for the Israel Show. And thank you all so very, very much. Um, here's a brand new uh, release coming out of Israel. An Israeli musician by the name of Chemi Rodner. He's been around, or Rodner, he's been around for a very long time. Coming out with a new album. And this is a very cool cut. It's called Yisra Blues. And um, the words are bluesy, meaning they're sort of like down on all the things going on that are negative. But the melody, uh, as he said, uh, the artist himself said, has a sort of upbeat Hasidic angle to it, an oyoyoy angle to it, but an upbeat one in which um, he says that's what Hasidim do. They dance, they're, you know, they're oftentimes in Europe and they were in, in dire straits and difficult situation and yet they always had a simcha, tamid besimcha, and so this song, the Yisra Blues by Chami Wadner, tries to recreate that effort. Uh, my name is Mayor Weingarten and uh, you're tuned to a debut of a brand new Israeli music cut on the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Blues. 
Nomi Shemer's classic, Hoi Rav Chovel, which is the Hebrew version, translation of um, O Captain, My Captain, a poem written by Walt Whitman after Abraham Lincoln was shot, and it expresses the pain of losing one's beloved leader. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. And uh, we have a brand new Meir Milim segment, very popular segment on this show. It's a segment where we shed light on a word or a phrase in the Hebrew language. And uh, the Meir Milim segment is inspired by the Galait Sahal radio segments of Dr. Avshalom Kor and informed by the teachings of Dr. Lior Gottlieb. Here is this week's installment of Meir Milim. Unlike the rest of the world, in Israel there are five seasons of the year. Spring, summer, fall, winter, and acharei hachagim, after the holidays. Need to get anything done? From the end of Elul, the usual answer is, I'll get to it, acharei hachagim, after the long series of holidays. And so, now that we've reached this point in time, the acharei hachagim season, Meir Milim finds it appropriate and safe to explore the word chag. It's seemingly obvious that Chag means a holiday. But in fact, we can get a bit more precise than that while understanding the basic meaning of the word Chag. If you still have a landline, you know this sound. It's a dial tone, the sound that lets you know that you can make a phone call, that you can dial the phone. Why is making a phone call referred to as dialing? Okay, here's another question. Before heading to a commercial, the radio announcer says, Ah, don't touch that dial. Listen to... There's that pesky word again, the dial. In the days before digital everything, radios and TVs were equipped with round knobs by which you changed the stations. The round object is called a dial. Don't touch that dial. Don't touch that dial. Don't change the station when we go out for a commercial break. In ancient times, you made a phone call by literally dialing the phone, using the round phone dial, which is why it's called a rotary phone. If you're too young to know what I'm talking about, Google it. Now you should ask, Mayor, why the history lesson about old-fashioned phones and TVs? Ah, simply so that we can understand the Hebrew word for dial. I'm working backwards. A dial tone in Hebrew is a tzlil chiyug. To make a call, you dial. Ata mechayeg. Similarly, the hands on the round face of a clock, the hands that go round and round, are mechogei hasha'on. One of the most popular Israeli children's songs tells the kids to go around and around in a circle. Bama'agal nachoga. 
or Nachuga, if you want it to rhyme, until they all sit down. Another word that may be related is a word for a belt that holds up your pants by encircling the midsection. A chagora. Chiyug, nachuga, machog, chagora. Okay, I think we're getting the picture. The word chag is clearly connected to a round object like a dial, a circle. There are three times a year when Jews from far and wide made the journey to one central point, the Bet HaMikdash in Yerushalayim. Can you picture it? A central point around which the Jewish pilgrims gather. A circle with Yerushalayim in the middle. When do we do this encircling? Well, now it makes sense that those days are called Chag. But you'll ask, what about the non-pilgrimage Chagim? Those that have no encircling, why are they called Chag? Well, actually, they're not. If we read the Torah carefully, we'll note that the word Chag refers exclusively to the three pilgrimage holidays, Sukkot, Pesach, and Shavuot. Only they are called Chag by the Torah. We've expanded the use of the word to mean any joyous holiday. And the word Chagiga, which originally was just the name of the korban, the sacrifice brought on the Chag, became a modern Hebrew word for any joyous event, even one not on a holiday. A Chagiga in modern Hebrew is a party. We've mentioned in previous Meir Milim segments that the Arabic and Hebrew languages are cousins. Therefore, it's not surprising that the word used in Arabic to describe Muslims' pilgrimage to Mecca is called a Hajj. Okay, let's stop going in circles. Here's the straight story. The word Hajj is rooted in the word encircle and originally referred only to the holidays when we make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the central point of our nation. And the Korban brought on those holidays is called a Chagigah. The word Chagigah later expanded to mean a joyous event, any joyous event, a party. The words Chiyug, Machog, Mechogah, Chug, and maybe Chagorah all have to do with things that go around and around. And that's this week's Meir Milim segment. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Ofra Chaza with Latchilm Bereshit, Hagigani Gmeret, Naomi Shemer classic. Of course, coming off the heels of the word Chagiga that we discussed in the Meir Milim segment. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Over the past few weeks, we've been uh, speaking about the 40th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. In fact, on the secular calendar, it was yesterday, October the 6th. On the Jewish calendar, of course, it was Yom Kippur. And um, I posted um, a link to the Israel Defense Forces blog, which I uh, saw this morning. They are um, posting each day a page describing that day of the Yom Kippur War. In fact, they also have a very cool thing. If you're into Twitter, they uh, are sending out tweets about events as they happened 40 years ago at the same time. They're tweeting as if they are current events. And those who are into history, into modern Jewish history, Israel's history, this is a very cool um, thing, a very cool Twitter feed. IDFblog.com, but the full link, if you want to get straight to that page, is on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Israel Show. And today we're going to discuss the aftermath of the Yom Kippur War and uh, the next installment, which I think will be the last one, will discuss some newly revealed material regarding 
the use of or the, the concept, the idea of possibly using nuclear weapons, which was brought up or was it brought up in the first days of the Yom Kippur War by Moshe Dayan or Golda Meir, so much is, uh, has been discussed and so many stories have been told about that and we will look at it with 2020 hindsight of the new material that is now being made available. But first, let's talk today about the aftermath of the Yom Kippur War. And many will find this surprising. But from a military perspective, the Yom Kippur War was a greater, yes, a greater victory than the Six-Day War. One could almost say it was even more miraculous. Why? Because in the Six-Day War, Israel was prepared. The army was totally ready for war. Israel struck first, preemptively, knocking out Egypt's air force in the first hour of the war. On Yom Kippur of 1973, Israel was caught off guard, totally unprepared, in almost every possible way. The troops were not called up. Golda Meir, the prime minister, did not approve a preemptive strike. The Egyptian army crossed the Suez Canal easily and almost unopposed. Similarly, the Syrian army advanced well into the Golan Heights. Had they wanted to, the Syrian tanks could have reached Tveria and the Egyptians could have advanced at least till Ashkelon and Ashdod. Miraculously, they did not. Because, miraculously, they didn't try. And yet, with these incredibly adverse starting points, by the end of the war, 18 days later, the Israeli army was on the road to Cairo, the Egyptian, the capital of Egypt, and Damascus, the capital of Syria. And yet, in the Israeli psyche, the Yom Kippur War was a national tragedy, a trauma that even 40 years later hasn't healed. And the question is why? And here are some, some of my thoughts. One, the absolute surprise of the Yom Kippur War, the fact that the generals and the leaders who were so adored were caught totally asleep at the wheel. This was the moment that the citizens of Israel lost faith in their leadership, forever. The dramatic military victory that came later could never cover up, could never absolve Israel's leaders, Dayan and Golda and the heads of the intelligence agencies, Eli Zeira and Tzvi Zamir. Number two, the knowledge that the lives of so many were lost unnecessarily due to the government's negligence. This, too, was something that Israelis couldn't forgive and don't forgive. The military victory was important, but it couldn't repair the damage to the collective psyche of Israelis. Over 2,000 were killed and over 7,000 were wounded. Many were traumatized for life as they saw their brothers, their fellow soldiers, being brutally killed before their eyes. Three was the deep disappointment from the findings of the Independent Commission of Inquiry, which we'll discuss later. But clearly, most Israelis felt that not only was there a terrible failure of its leaders, but they felt those same leaders would not take responsibility for their failures. Soon after the war, there was a grassroots call for an independent committee that would investigate what came to be known as the Mechdal, the failure or more specifically, the failure due to negligence. And so on November 21st, 1973, shortly after the war's end, 
the quote-unquote Agranat Commission was appointed, named after the head of the commission, Dr. Shimon Agranat, who was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. It included another Justice of the Supreme Court, Moshe Landau, Dr. Yitzhak Nevensal, the State Controller, and two former Chiefs of Staff, Professor Yigal Yadin and Chaim Laskov. On the 1st of April 1974, the committee gave forth an interim report which caused a huge stir in the state of Israel. It found the military to be guilty, but absolved the political leadership. It put most of the burden on the Ramatkal, Chief of Staff David Elazar, who we now know wanted and pushed for forces to be called up for the reserves to be brought in earlier, but did not get the backing of Moshe Dayan and Golda Meir. And yet it was David Elazar who paid the biggest price, who immediately resigned after the report was publicized. Others like Elisa and Gonen also were, well, they didn't resign, they actually were fired. And Golda Meir, even though she wasn't named in the report, actually resigned a week after that. Yitzhak Rabin became prime minister, and Moshe Dayan, although he didn't resign, was not given a ministerial position in that government. Another sore point, the entire report of the Agranat Commission has still, to this day, not been made public. Even 40 years later, many parts of the report weren't made, many other parts of the report that are now public weren't made public until recently. Clearly, many former army commanders who became political leaders were interested in the report being kept secret. And that's another reason for Israelis to lose faith in their leadership. The war had a tremendous influence also on the internal politics of Israel. Not long after the war, the elections, elections were held for the Knesset. These were elections that were supposed to take place in October, but clearly were postponed because of the war. People had not yet comprehended the full tragedy of the Yom Kippur War and how much the leadership had disappointed them. 78.6% voter turnout. The labor that had led governments of Israel from day one, the party that founded the state of Israel, lost five seats in the 120-seat Knesset. The Likud gained seven. Four years later, when the full impact of the leadership failure became apparent, in May of 1977, Israel ousted the Labor Party for the first time. Israelis voted against the party. That was huge. It took the Mechdal of the Yom Kippur War to get Israelis to vi- finally vote the bums out. The party of Ben-Gurion, the party that founded the state and controlled so much of its workings and economy, found itself paying the price of their ego and bravado. I think the story of the Yom Kippur War ends with the arrival of Anwar Sadat to Israel in November of 1978. Because only after reclaiming the quote-unquote Arab pride, knocking Israel down many pegs, 
did Sadat feel that he now had a chance to get back to Sinai, a prize he wanted so much? He was even ready to pay for it by making peace with Israel. That's um, our brief summary of the post-Yom Kippur War events, the aftermath of the Yom Kippur War. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Here is Acharei HaChagim, Ofra Chaza with Hit Chadshut.
Adelia Berlin with uh, a cover of Rav Shlomo Kalbach's Anna Hashem. And before that, Nomi Shemes Hitchachut with uh, Ofra Chaza. We're going to close out today's show with another uh, shout out to Noach. And um, appropriately, the song is called Pray Dame Tevat Noach, saying goodbye to Noach's Ark, as it describes all the animals leaving the Teva. Very cute song. And that one too, as was the opening one about Noah, is by Mati Kaspi. And um, we will do so right after we thank you so much for listening, for tuning in, for making us a part of your day. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Continue to do so and encourage others to. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Stay tuned. Immediately following us is Michael Fragan with, with his new show called Tech Talk. Don't want to miss that. And after that, the Nachum Siegel Network features the great Music Monday mix. So stay tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network all day long. Until next Monday, following JM in the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Oh, <laughs>